0: Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us for the Evangel Life broadcast and discussion. Today, we're going to get into some questions related to um, confusion that came up around a seminar topic from this last June. But without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Kevin and you can throw it at
1: us. Amen. Amen. Well, um, the question really this week is um, something that was sent to me from an old friend from California. And he, he really, he had a concern uh, around something that you said at, uh, in a seminar at the Jubilee. Brother Dan was actually teaching and you were commenting on the teaching. And um, the teaching was around, is the body Christ on earth? And so you had commented something around, actually, you know what, do we have a video of it that we can run? And uh, that way I could just point it out from there. A body part is not a body
0: and a stack of body parts is not a body a pile of stones is not a house a pile of house materials is not a house take composition out of the elements coordination and you no longer have a body a house if you have uh, what makes a a string of words a sentence what's the way they're ordered what makes a string of letters a word it's the way they're ordered if you take order out of the church you do not have the church you have something else only composition permits you to call it a church a body I think that one of the tricks that the devil has played in modern times is basically whatever broken graveyard condition christianity is in we're just going to glue the label of the body on that you are the body no you're not you are a member of the body that has not found where it belongs but the miracle of ezekiel is to see bone to bone coming together and joints forming and skin covering only when that happens can we rise up as god's army this disarray this Boneyard of independence is not the body of Christ. And calling it that just makes us dishonest. It's interesting that modern uh, individualistic salvation only appeared in the radical individualism of this current age. The church has never envisioned salvation apart from the church until the American gospel of the American dream and the rugged individualist really took hold and now suddenly this new insight has come into the church and preachers are everywhere teaching independence you know, that is the provision of the flesh and it's a form of idolatry you know I, I heard someone last week say I just love this because it didn't talk at all about people it didn't talk at all about a church it just focused on Jesus. And I thought, oh, that is so heartwarming. But I heard an idolatry in it. I truly did. I heard an idolatry. I heard, I hate submission. I hate my brother, but I love God whom I have not seen. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I heard. Mm-hmm. There is a way that we celebrate Jesus only. Oh, I just love it. And he's saying, I came to cast a fire upon the earth. I came. The reason he gave his life was for the church. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. There would have been no cross had he not seen the church on the other side. The cross was for the church. Gave himself up for her that he might cleanse her, sanctifying her, presenting her as a bride without blemish. Amen. So when we minimize or fracture or pervert the purpose and meaning of the church, we are attacking the very thing he died for. We are destroying the intent, the purpose behind his suffering. And that is not elevating or exalting him it's idolatry. It's worshiping the Christ idea and hating the Christ reality. Kevin, what could possibly be controversial about that?
1: <laughs> Amen. Well, you know, I'll, I'll start by saying that where I come from, um, just from a Christianity perspective, there there's a real lack of understanding of the body. I had a lot of issues trying to express my view of the body there um, in the latter years of my time in California. And I think there's a lack of understanding of the incarnation as well. And um, so all of that to say that there's a particular framework, I think that this is being viewed through, that would make it hard to understand what exactly you were saying, particularly because this person took the video and of course they cut it down to just one small portion. And it was the part where you said uh, about the person who said it, it had nothing to do with people and it had nothing to do with the church and it just had to do with Jesus. And you followed that up with, I heard some idolatry in there and he cuts it off right there. So the implication there for um, the person that had sent this to me was that we are saying that if, if you believe in Jesus only, that's an idol. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because of course, we've never heard this before, but we think we're Jesus. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to that? <laughs> well, I would just refer to them, refer to them to what I actually said. I
0: couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> um, no, what I said is that in the phrase that the person uttered, I heard, kind of between the lines, a kind of idolatry. I have said myself, and I think others could say with the right intention, I loved it. It had nothing to do with man. It had only to do with Jesus. And that there would be a way to say that a motivation behind saying that that would not mean anything about idolatry. I'm not suggesting that. But there is a certain way that we as Christians can hide our independence, our bitterness, and our distrust behind a pretense of elevated uh, worship of Jesus. And it is, in my view, verbatim the same spirit and dynamic that James is addressing when he says, how can you say, or John is addressing, when he says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Now, is John, are they going to call John a blasphemer for telling people not to say, I love God? No. No. They're not going to say he's a blasphemer, but John was identifying that there was a way to say, I love God, and yet in practice, to have hatred for your brother. And if a Christian can't watch the context of what I said and understand that, they do not know their Bible. They have been given such a watered-down, selective clipping of Scripture that they do not understand what Jesus and the apostles taught about the identification between Christ and his body. He says, If you say, I love God and yet hate your brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And he's saying here that there is is a proclivity in human nature to want to attach to and claim love for what is beyond us, for what we can't see, for what is out of our reach, but for those things that are in our reach, oh no, we don't have any love. And I am saying that there is an idolatry in that. And Dan, jump in here if, if, if you want to, but the specific angle that I'm taking there with idolatry is borrowed from 1 Corinthians 12. And I don't know how, An honest scholar or student of Scripture can avoid the fact that when Paul introduces the body of Christ in his seminal body passage, which is 1 Corinthians 12, he starts it by saying, I want you to not be ignorant of the gifts of the Spirit by implication that come through the body because... When you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols. And then he goes on and he says that the Lord speaks through the body through these gifts, but it's the same spirit, it's the same Lord, it's the same spirit, it's the same Lord, it's the same spirit, it's the same Lord. And this is important because he started the whole discourse by saying, no one can claim that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. So he's introduced the need to... Claim he's Lord by the Spirit. And then everything he says about the body shows us that that's where we receive the Spirit. That's where we receive the Lordship. That's where we receive the Spirit. That's where we receive the Lord. And and what's important is that when Paul is introducing the body to us, he is implying that if we don't hear God from the body, we are at risk of returning to the mute idols of our past. As if to say, if you don't have the Spirit speaking through the body, your God is becoming voiceless in your life. And you're claiming he's Lord, but not by the Spirit. You're pretending he's Lord, but he's increasingly becoming an idea in your mind that never actually speaks to you. That is the idolatry that rejects the body and claims, I love God whom I have not seen. And, and I just would challenge anybody bring scripture. If, if you think this is unscriptural, what I'm saying, show me that. Show me how that's unscriptural. No, no individual is Jesus. But I am, I am charged and warned by Jesus, the, the apostle John and Paul, not to reject my brother in the name of receiving my Lord. This is a fraud. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 18, whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever rejects you, rejects me. So if you reject the body of Christ, you have rejected Christ, and you are an idolater because you are worshiping the God idea, but you refuse to interact with Jesus in his corporate body. Not individuals that are Jesus, but the whole of the body of Christ. And and you're lifting yourself up in an independence where It's really a kind of self-worship, and that's another form of idolatry. Mm. So in short, I don't take back one syllable that I said. I just challenge anybody who listened to it to show me how it's unscriptural. Show me how that's not exactly what the Bible is speaking to us in framing the discourse of the body and of spiritual gifts and in warning against a claim of love toward God whom I have not seen while avoiding my brothers whom I can see.
2: It's so convenient, isn't it, to peg everything on your relationship between just me and Jesus? Uh, because who can refute that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it just gets a little more real mm-hmm. when another person is in front of you, uh, sharing something with you that uh, it's a little harder to avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can just say, "Well, I've talked to God about it, and you know we've worked it out. You stay out of my life." How convenient is that? And, I mean, I think also of how Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in John 5, and he said, You search the Scriptures, for in these you think you have eternal life, but these testify of me. Yet you will not come to me that you might have life. You know, and so, and then he talks about how you receive honor from one another, you know, but if you come in your own name, you know, but he who comes in the name of another, him you will not receive. Mm -hmm. So what is he really saying there? First of all, he's saying they would even claim the scriptures as their source of authority, and yet they would not, they would not receive the Lord Jesus himself Mm -hmm. when he appeared to them in human form. Mm -hmm. And, I think this is what the scriptures repeatedly speak of about the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense you know that to some he is precious but to those who believe but to others this is an offense yeah and jesus (laughs) he did a lot of offending Mm -hmm. why why what was so offensive about his ministry well it was just hard to escape Mm -hmm. you know when you have when all you work with is the scriptures then it can be your interpretation, my interpretation, you know um, but but when when you come face to face with an anointing that is uh it's not debatable what's happening here what's being said it's it's pretty clear it's it's hard um, it's hard to swallow that if you're intent upon being your own lord mm-hmm. <laughs> and then his his discussion there about you you know you receive one another if you come in your own name, yeah. That's like, if everybody can be a relativist, we can all be happy with each other. You've done your study of the Scriptures, and you've got an interesting angle, and I've done my study, and I've got an interesting angle. Here's another way of looking at it, and we can just leave everything in that realm where it's your opinion, my opinion, you're interesting, I'm interesting, and we, you know and yet there's never there's never anything with authority and apparently that's what the the scribes and the Pharisees were in the business of doing because they marveled at Jesus because he speaks as one having authority and not like the scribes, the scribes or the Pharisees you know he yeah. he or the teachers of the law he, he something is different about this man he seems to actually believe that god Can speak into the realm of time and space through a human vessel. And that is just so disruptive of, of this comfortable system we have where we all agree that no one can ever really know and we all agree that each person can have their opinion and it's all the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's an authority question. It really is. You know, when you first were saying that about how
0: convenient it is for individuals to just accept. Contradiction and disunity in the church in the name of a kind of spiritual relativism. That's your interpretation. I have mine. You know, it made me think of that passage where Paul said, um, No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And then he said, Even so, we have the mind of Christ. He doesn't say, You have it or I have it. He says, We have it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we see in action, even among their disputes, was that there was not some arbitrary hierarchical order that superseded the Spirit. Instead, they really believed Jesus when he said, whenever two or three are gathered in my name, which could be translated in my authority, there I am in the midst of them. And was Jesus just being poetic when he said that? Or did he actually mean that? Did he actually mean that we needed to be together in order to have a relationship with Jesus? Is that what the writer of Hebrews is is referring to when he says, you know, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together as the manner of some is? There's something that we can't get individualistically. Mm -hmm. Yes, we all must have a personal relationship with Jesus, But that is according to the measure of Christ's gift. That's not the fullness of what we need to have in our lives. We have grace coming to us through the written word of the Bible. We have grace coming to us through the spiritual prayer life and walk with with the Lord directly. And we have grace coming to us in its various forms through the body. And if we cut off any of those three primary channels... We're, start, we're moving toward a place where our claim of submission is, is ultimately a pretense, determining for ourselves what this is supposed to be like.
2: It's like the Lord has given us those three avenues you mentioned, um, and they should all agree. Yes. They should be checked against each other. Amen. You know, we, we, we're, not, we're not at all implying in what we're saying here that one should just blindly follow somebody because they claim to have a word from God and, well... I guess we got to listen to him, or even just because he's a leader of the church. Therefore, sure. you just you just blindly follow it, and you ignore what the written word says, or you ignore what the Holy Spirit is yeah. impressing upon your heart. Those are checks against that, uh, against the the authority of a man taking you off off track. But but we would say that the opposite could also be true. Yeah. That just saying, well, I've read it in the Bible, and this is how I interpret it. Right. That also needs to be checked against what the spirit is saying. Right. And what the body would confirm. Yes. And and also, well, I just feel the spirit in this. Well, let's check that against the written word yeah. and against what the body is saying. Exactly. And all of those three elements need to agree before we should be spouting with some confidence that this has to be God.
0: Amen. You know, I think of just how Paul presented himself and the and the ministry of the church, whether to the Thessalonian church uh, or the Galatian church. And, and to the Thessalonians, in, in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, uh, we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. He did not believe that they could be saved by a human word. And he told the Corinthians, my preaching and my teaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power. And here he's telling the Thessalonians, he's praising them and he's giving praise to God continually, That they didn't view Paul merely as a mere man, but Mm -hmm. they viewed him as a man with a gift from God, and they were able to discern that the word he was speaking was not the words of mere humans, but was the word of God, which was at work. It was doing something powerful in the Thessalonian church.
2: I want to make a couple things clear for our listeners. You know, this is a topic that has come up a lot. Um, this question of is the church Christ on earth, and and in, in what to what degree, and to, and it gets misunderstood to the point that people say and and that you can find this on the internet in various places that we actually preach that we are Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And, and and there's a there's a big distinction between saying uh, we are trying our best to function as members of his body and we do believe that his spirit still speaks through people yes. that his body is to be his representation on the earth that hit the same spirit that was in Christ was given to men yes. and and in in measure but when those measures come together that brings a fullness of the body and there he is with us uh, we do believe that, but that's different than saying, you know, certainly different than saying, I am Jesus. Sure. You know, or that Blair Adams believed he was Jesus. Oh, my. People would say those kinds of things yeah. as if that was ever taught or preached. Yeah. Find that for me in, uh, we have a lot of literature. <laughs> Brother Blair wrote a lot of books. Find that for me in those books. Sure. Deal with what we actually said in context, not with uh, little snippets that, that scare people. Right. And I, I understand people are worried, right. uh, and it's been it's been done too many times sure. that people will do terrible things in the name of God, and yeah. or just insist that other people are going to submit because I am your pastor, or, right. or whatever, right. and then you end up with these aberrations, sure. Jim Jones and David Koresh, and before you know it, you've got these people who are coercing people and yeah. totally uh, enmeshed in the wrong kind of authority, and there's just all kinds of things that are wrong with that, yes. but we would say, what does the written Word say about that? What is the anointing saying about that? So whatever they're calling the body, that's not the body if it doesn't correspond to the Word and and to the Spirit. Um, And we would hold ourselves accountable. We're all accountable to that same standard. Um, But if it needs saying clearly to anybody... We do not believe we are Jesus, except in the sense that we're describing here, which we believe is scriptural. Part and of His it, body. Yeah, we are part of His body. We do not believe we're the only church. Yep. We do not believe we're the only people going to heaven. Yep. There I said it. Maybe <laughs> we could repeat that clip a few times yeah. on the internet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I was just thinking, again,
0: when you were, you were talking there, um, I, I think that there is a, a hardwired aversion in all of us to submission but if it's the body of christ that we're encountering it should be the most voluntary authority in the world because obviously i'm going to be part of a church where i feel that god's spirit is at work where i feel that we are true to the plumb line of scripture where i feel that the the fruits of righteousness and of the Spirit, our attesting, our, our claims, you know. Um, but at, at the end of the day, that is a private choice for each person. So you can claim anything you want. You can say, I, we're the body of Christ. And just because you claim it doesn't make it so. And that's what I was saying in that clip. I think that a lot of what goes in the name of the body of Christ is not the body of Christ. Just like Paul could say, the Lord's Supper that you take is not the Lord's Supper. Now, they Mm -hmm. were still going through the motions, but he felt like they were so out of order that it had ceased to be Mm -hmm. true to its name. It wasn't communion. It wasn't the Lord's Supper. And in the same way, I think that much of what is going on in the name of church or the body of Christ has nothing to do with the original pattern or has way too little to do with the original pattern. And I don't think that we can expect people to have that kind of trust or faith until they come into a fruitful, vibrant, relational environment that, mm-hmm. that really does solve a lot of those questions and those problems. And, but even still, it is a deeply personal decision. If you feel like this is where God is is speaking to you and wants to disciple you, well, then you need to accept it according to what you feel the Spirit has privately revealed to you. And when you feel like you can't, then you need to face that and go somewhere where you can feel the Spirit in his people in that fruitful, abiding, loving way. So at the end of the day, it's all a little bit of a ruse because we're simply saying... We've got to reach this ideal. We've got to aspire to this unity. We can't accept this dysfunction. We're not saying we've attained it. We're not saying we're paragons of it. But we're just saying this is what scripture puts forth. We've got to aspire to this. Mm -hmm. And whether this is an expression of the body or not, that's up to you. That's up to each person. We're not saying to every Christian we are the body to you. But for me, this is the body. It's the body for me. And we all have to find that place where we're not worshiping ourselves and our own will in the name of God, because that is idolatry. And I believe that a lot could be said about idolatry and independence, but I believe it's there. Um, you know, I was thinking about that familiar uh, account that my dad used to preach from uh, of Paul on the road to Damascus. And how it says that he went forth with letters to persecute the church. Jesus has been ascended in heaven for probably over a decade. And Paul is going forth with letters to persecute the church. And he meets the Lord on the road and he asks, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This does not entail that Paul, Paul's letters actually got him all the way up into heaven and that he was harassing the individual man, the Lord and Savior
2: Christ Jesus. When it tells us he had already been dragging believers off to prison and, and so on and so forth, we know who he was persecuting. Yeah. So about
0: the church, about the people that Paul was harassing, Jesus said, that is Jesus. Mm-hmm. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He was fulfilling or showing the words that he spoke when he says, when you do it to one of the least of these, you have done it unto me. And that's a powerful, that's a powerful identification between Christ and mm-hmm. his body. I think also of, of um, a similar scenario that we've referenced here before, but it's where is a righteous man, a man of prayers, a man of, of offerings and support for the Jewish people, and one day an angel appears in his house and begins to speak with him. Your prayers have, have been heard. You know, this memorial has arisen before God and, and the Lord is really paying him all these compliments through this angel. And and there the angel of God is is in his living room and Cornelius is ready to receive whatever God is going to speak. He's You know, just in this place of reception and openness, and he's been praying and seeking. But the angel says exactly what the Lord said to Paul. He sends him to the church. He sends him to people. Jesus did not give Paul the direct plan of salvation. He connected him with the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. He said, go to the street called Straight, and it will be shown you what you must do. He wanted Paul to come into submission to the church. And in the same way, the angel doesn't give Cornelius the plan of salvation. He says, go to another town and go to another street and to Simon the Tanner's house, and it will be shown you what you must do. He will speak to you words by which you and your household will be saved. He connected him to the body of Christ and made sure that the salvation message came through people, not through the angel. And even with the Lord, with Paul, it didn't come, the Lord didn't speak it directly. He wanted Paul connected. I mean, Paul could have walked into Damascus and said, guys, I just met with Jesus. I've got a better version of this than you've ever heard. Let's sit down and hear it from me. I mean, the Lord wanted him to go blind and then receive grace through the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And this is what he's saying, and this is what Peter is saying in 1 Peter 4 when he says that we minister the grace of God in its various forms one to another. You know, when, when Paul wrote the Galatians in chapter four, he says to the Galatian church, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Were they giving Paul too much love or too much respect? Or did they recognize, yes, Paul is stands before us in weakness, in fear and much trembling, to quote him, but the Holy Spirit also moves through him, and his teaching and preaching are with a demonstration of the spirit and power. And so we're not going to look at this as oh, that's Paul, but what we really want to focus in on is Jesus only. You know, this is this is just a way to hide our independence, which can quickly become a form
2: of idolatry. Yeah. I want to emphasize something you said a minute ago <clears throat> about how uh, it is an individual decision. It's a private decision to to be able to identify and recognize this is the body of Christ for me. Yeah, I think that's key because if you if you listen to what we're saying, just kind of abstractly or based in a, a, a limited experience or, or whatever, and you' think, you're trying to imagine this scenario where, okay, so I've got to go, uh, invest myself in some church context where I have to just trust that whatever people are telling me is God. It, it starts to sound arbitrary and s- scary, uh, and and like the, you know all the light the warning lights go off mm-hmm. that this is just going to be this is going to devolve into men controlling men or whatever. But <laughs> what you said there about you you've got to you've got to search and seek God until you can come into a context where it does not feel that way. Mm-hmm. Where your spirit resonates with what's going on, mm-hmm. and and of course even then n- no one is being asked to surrender their right to decision making and all of that anyway. That's mm-hmm. something that you you would you maintain. Right. It's a scary freedom to maintain actually because we can choose wrong as right. well as as right. Um. But you people should should be in seeking the body. We're we're not promoting this or sharing about any of this, uh, because we're trying to to say everybody needs to be in submission to our ministry or whatever. No. Uh, I, I know that gets read into it right. sometimes. Uh, but we're trying to share about something wonderful that we've found good fruit from Amen. that has brought peace and grace and a, a plenary expression of God's love and the fruits of the Spirit to bear and 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 uh, is attested to by many witnesses. Amen. And we're trying to share a good thing that has brought us all of this grace. And, and so we're saying, seek the lord and ask him to bring you into the connections where you will feel in your heart and in your spirit as in so far as they are surrendered to god you will feel this is his people this is the place for you this is where you are called to connect to the body but but we are warning against the idea that no one needs really needs the body at all. Mm-hmm. That it's neat that there are other people out there that believe in Jesus, but you just basically chart your own course and um, you know do whatever seems right to you, but don't be very wary and, and just don't receive anything from anybody else and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the proverb says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end therein is death. Mm-hmm. I think the worst deception that we can fall for is the one that happens between our two ears, yeah. where we just trust our own opinions, we, we trust in our, in our own understanding with all of our hearts and lean not on the Lord or his people, <laughs> to misquote Proverbs. <laughs> it's like Jeremiah. Cursed is
0: the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. He will be like a shrub in the desert who does not see when prosperity comes. And the man that is most
2: dangerous to trust is ourself. As Jeremiah also says, Amen. The heart is desperately wicked. (laughs) Yeah, who can is deceitful above all things? Who can know it, except the Lord? Amen. You know, when when we're talking
0: about how this is a deeply personal, private evaluation that we have to make with the Lord, um, that doesn't go away after we join a church, right? You know, Um, I look at the failures that were in the church, and I can see even leaders falling into worldliness in the case of uh, Elemus I think it is or not elemus Demas um,
2: Demus, Demus. Yeah. That's,
0: that's what it is Demus thank you but I can see leaders falling into transgression or worldliness um, I can see the Apostle Peter who who um, is certainly used of God falling into hypocrisy and uh, which is an expression of dishonesty mm-hmm. and and I say to myself you know, When we talk about the body of Christ, are we suggesting some level of individual perfection in the church? No, we're not. We're saying that we have all committed to a course, and collectively, as an aggregate, we can represent a standard of godliness that raises all of us to a higher level in Jesus. But there's going to be failures, and and this isn't based on human infallibility, This is based on God's grace and design.
2: This is God's provision for fallibility. Exactly.
0: That's the point of it. So, you know, if you're in the the Antioch church or wherever it was, I think it was in Antioch that Paul rebuked Peter for his hypocrisy. It says that Paul was doing it to impress James, which worries you about James just a little
2: bit. Peter was doing it. I'm sorry.
0: Peter was doing it to impress James, which makes you wonder what was going on there. He doesn't really comment about James, but it says that Barnabas was going along with Peter. And it's, it's called hypocrisy. And it was so troublesome that the Apostle Paul, the younger upstart, uh, took the step of confronting and rebuking it in front of the entire Galatian or the Antioch congregation, whoever, wherever it was. And you ask, if, if, if you had been in the Antioch church and you had seen this hypocrisy, in the Apostle Paul, what would you... Peter. Have, the Apostle Peter. Thank <laughs> you. I'm sorry, Paul. <laughs> um, but you had seen this hypocrisy in Peter. What would you have done? You know, well, you could have gone to him because he's, he's just a man like you are, even though his gift may bring grace and, and covering to you in some capacity. At the end of the day, he's a man and all of us are men and we, we're all subject to mistakes and, and fallibility. But what if he didn't repent? Well, You better pray he is in a plexus of relationships in a networking body of Christ where a visiting brother Paul will stop in and exert the authority of God. Mm -hmm. If he's not, you start facing difficult questions and you start having to ask, can I submit to this expression as truly submitted and accountable to Christ when I see this kind of hypocrisy or sin or whatever the case may be. And I think it just shows that we're not talking about you know, opening our hearts and treating as Jesus every expression of the body, especially those that are immature and taking initial baby steps toward maturation. And we're not even saying to put people individually on some pedestal of unquestionable submission. We're not saying that at all. We know that if the Apostle Peter can fail, how much more can we? But part of our evaluation that helps us know it's the body is the submission that we see between Peter and Mm -hmm. Paul. And I think that's important, too, because the church model that is prevalent today that a lot of people are filling in the gaps with when we talk about it, is a very um, independent model where there's this senior pastor who really kind of controls everything. It's a one-man show, and he doesn't really have accountability. He doesn't have a visiting apostle who's going to call him on the carpet in front of the entire local congregation. (laughs) And apart from that kind of honesty, submission, and accountability, I don't think this is even remotely safe. We kind of have to change everything in order to move toward an ideal like this. Mm-hmm. But, Kevin, you probably got some more holes to poke in us.
1: Well, it's funny. Every time I went to go poke a hole, y'all just answered exactly what I was wanting to, to poke at. You know, okay. I, I think there's really—you know, when we left California, we, <clears throat> we left because we were wanting to become the church. We knew that we hadn't really seen anything like what the Scriptures had—, had um, we're talking about when when we read about the church throughout the Bible, and so you know we're never going to stop that journey of trying to become the bride, you know, without spot, Amen. wrinkle, or blemish. I mean, that's going to be hopefully the rest of my Amen. life. Amen. Um, but I think you know I have some sympathy for people that I think there are a lot of honest believers out there that that have just never seen an expression of the body like what we're talking about. Right. And so they go from church to church and they ask themselves, well, this, I think they resign themselves to this must be the best there is. Mm -hmm. And so what you all are talking about seems idealistic and, Mm -hmm. and the fact that you all are taking it so seriously and have taken it so far. And I think it's so far beyond the realm of what a lot of Christians, unfortunately, have experienced that you have to do something with it, like discredit it or call it a cult or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And so I think I just have sympathy for those that that, that haven't seen a, a real expression. So what do you do? What do you do if you're out in Southern California and you're going from church to church, and um, you know your pastor fell in this church, and this 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 person hurt you over here, and everything you all are talking about, uh, and you can't really seem to find um, what you were talking about brother dan what you should be looking for you know a people that are all in mutual submission to one another a people that are filled with the spirit of people that you can trust will speak the word of god to you a mutual accountability all of these things that that would um that would speak to a healthy body you know we're all i think you said on the same course going in the same direction and there just seems to be so much fragmentation out there so much individualism out there who can you trust you know um and so I guess I'm not really asking a question here. All I'm saying is, is it's it's hard out there. Yeah. You know. And and I, I I almost don't have a real good answer except, you know, seek God with all your heart. You know, when you seek Him with all your heart, the Scriptures say that you will find Him. Amen. You know, and I think you'll find Him in a way that's a little bit different than maybe what you've experienced in these 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 different settings, yeah. um, that have you know perhaps let you down. You know. You know. The the Bible
0: says that. It is the congregation's duty to test those who call themselves apostles and are not. And it is, the, it is the duty of Berean Christians to evaluate and to be honest and not say in their hearts, well, I've looked here and I've looked there and, and nobody's any better than this, so I just have to accept this. We have to take the word of God as our standard. And we have to say, does this ministry live up to this standard? That standard includes fallen mistakes of fallen human people. But a lot of what we're seeing is not mistakes. It's not human frailty that we're encountering. It's a completely distorted, false configuration of church that has no chance of succeeding as the church. It may, be a, it may be an important step on someone's journey. It may be a one step in the right direction. But we kind of have to get back down to basics. And we have to test those ministries and those churches that, that we keep encountering and say, well, that's not it, Lord. And it may be discouraging to say that, But that's one step closer to pushing us toward a real experience and revelation of the body of Christ. And we have to believe that that is there, it's out there. And I can't tell you how many times people have described coming to a place of near hopelessness and then all of a sudden saying, I found the bride. I found found an expression that feels authentic. Not perfect, still a work in process, but it feels authentic, it feels fruitful. And God, you have given me the reward of my search. You have given me, you have answered my journey with with an experience of of Zion that is real. I think about my dad's close friend from the army, Danny Allensworth. When they were both unbelievers, uh, he was sitting at home on a particular night. God was dealing with their hearts in two different places uh, in the same city. But my my dad's friend, Denny, was sitting in the apartment or wherever it was, sitting in his van. And he said, God, I'm going to get up. I'm going to walk out this door. I'm going to start walking. And I'm not going to stop until you lead me to the truth. (laughs) And he started walking. And sure enough, he gets down to the drag in University of Austin. And he sees this guy playing a trumpet. And then this gal singing and these people sharing about Jesus. And he followed them to church and and he walked into a a church uh, comprised of Christians the likes of which he'd never encountered in his experience. And he sat down and his his life turned around and he never went back. He was totally changed. And when he got back to speak with my then atheist father, um, he didn't want to admit that he'd been in a church. and he finally told him he, he was he had been in a church and my dad said well tell me about it what was it like he said i i can't say much about what was shared but all i can tell you is that the power coming from that man's message completely swallowed up my ego
1: hmm.
0: wow and that's what we're waiting to feel that's what we're waiting to find and yeah. if we if that's what we want god will lead us to the
1: truth amen, amen. So how does this work, just for clarity's sake? Um, so we're not, you, you made clear, uh, no one person is Jesus. Uh, brother. <laughs> Except Austin, Jesus. Br- brother Dan, <laughs> hey, amen, right? <laughs> no one human here now yeah. is Jesus. Uh, brother Dan, you made clear that n- no, we're not Jesus. Um, but, you know, there tends to be a sentiment out there that you already addressed um, to some extent, that we think we're the only body, or that we think we are the expression of the body or the purest expression, whatever the case is, how do you view just the body universally, globally, and how do we in Waco and even just the communities around the the world fit into that? Amen. Um, Well, I believe that the body of
0: Christ is a universal phenomenon, but I believe that it has a local belonging that we must individually find. So the body of Christ is a term that is synonymous with the with church. And so I believe in the universal church. I believe that there are believers and Christians numbering in the millions all over the world. And they are part of that body by by their faith in, in Jesus Christ and, and, and by being baptized by one Spirit into that body. Um, and yet. I I still see that the Bible teaches a universal membership with an individualistic, with a local belonging. So it doesn't speak of the congregation at Ephesus. It speaks of the church at Ephesus, the ecclesia. So the church is universal. The church stands for the body, but there's the body at Ephesus, there's the body at Laodicea, there's the body at. Philadelphia, uh, the, the Church of Philadelphia, the Church at Rome, this, and so there is a sense in which each congregation stands as a representation, as a an expression of that whole. So the Church of God that meets at so and so's house, and it's not enough to simply claim universal membership in this universal unseen amorphous body we need to know those who labor among us we need to obey those who have the rule over us in the church at our place where god has called us god may call us from place to place even based on where the church is and that's a deeply personal thing that we've got to discern says god Your body is universal and there's a lot of people belonging to it. But I do also know that if I believe scripture, this valley of dry bones is trying to change from a bunch of broken parts to a cohesive man, to a cohesive whole. So where are you calling me personally to submit to those who have the rule over me, to be obedient in all things as Paul commended the Philippians To know those who labor among me. Where is that local belonging that you're asking me, uh, that you're, you're calling me to? And is that my choice or is that God's choice? Well, if it was my choice, then the body parts are interchangeable and people can just go all over wherever they want. It's my choice to assess and decide what God is speaking. But I need to think of it in terms of God has to make that choice and reveal it to me, and then I choose to obey it. Amen? Amen. So, it says that God has composed the body just as He wanted it to be. And we can't change the notes in a song that have been composed by a composer without messing up the song. And we can't change the composition of the body without killing the body. And we can't change the composition of relationships that God has ordained Without doing the same, and so, for individuals, we have to pray and ask God, show me where you are composing me. Where are you fitting me into a local expression of this universal body? Merely belonging to the universal thing is really the same as as saying, "I love Jesus, whom I have not seen." while not loving my brother whom I have seen. That's loving the body of Christ that I cannot see instead of finding those relationships that I am told to follow, to know, to submit to, to be of one mind with, to unite with, with one purpose. (laughs) The Bible is teaching me that there is a local belonging, a local attachment to the universal body. And that's gotta be an, an abiding commitment. Where, where we say, God has chosen this for me, and until he shows me otherwise, I am a pillar that is not going to come and go, but is going to remain in God's house. This is where he's fitted me.
1: So if I'm a, a sincere Christian in my own mind, but I don't belong or am not plugged into or I'm not a member of a local body, does that mean I'm not a Christian? It doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but it does mean
0: that you are missing out on what you're going to need to make it to flourish in your relationships. And you should not settle for that. That is not good enough. You're, you need to seek the church. We need to come together. And, you know, it's going to be a journey and process. We're going to come together with people who are as imperfect as us, but we've all got to commit to growing. I mean, we have changed beyond a compass of a few words to describe, to quote my dad, over the course of 50 years. But people felt that God was at work And that's one of the things you've got to listen for. Is this people changing? Is this people growing? Do they have a commitment that transcends what they've already attained to? Are they willing to go all the way? Or are they going to stop at Dan and Bethel? Are they going to commit the sin of Jeroboam? And, And can you journey with a people or find a people who, despite all their imperfections, their heart Amen. is set on Zion. Amen? Amen? And if, if, that's, if that's the attitude, then you don't need to worry about the perfection of the church if the church is in a state of change. If it's growing, if it's growing in, in, in godliness, growing in fruitfulness, growing in love, growing in truth, growing in consistency, growing in its witness, then be part of it. Amen. And if it's not, if it's ossifying and saying, we will progress no further as Paul said, of those who are bound in the flesh, then uh, you need to be very concerned because any church that will progress no further is in rebellion. Until, until we all realize that the church fell into unimaginable stupidity, brokenness, and death and start this journey of restoration, we're, we're crazy. I mean, you want to tell me that there has been some unbroken continuity? Individually, Yes. But as a body of Christ globally, no. The Catholic Church became an utter train wreck. And the train wrecks that continue to this day are among those who refuse to go all the way to Jerusalem, all the way back to the pattern of God, and instead set up some mile marker justification by faith. Well, praise God for that, but don't die there. Amen. Keep going. We need to get back to the proper form of church order. We need to get back to the proper view of relationship between the church and the state. We need to get back to the restoration of the foundations of repentance and baptisms. And we need to keep going. So if you're part of a people that is imperfect, but journeying with fruit to show the progress, amen, be part of that. If you're not, you need to seek God and find his people. Uproot, do whatever you got to, but don't forsake the gathering of yourself together, as the manner of some is, especially as you see this day approaching. We can't do this alone. The gates of hell are going to prevail against individuals. They're, it's going to, they're going to prevail against isolated families, but the gates of hell will not prevail against what God calls a church, not what we call a church, what he calls a church. Let's be part of that.
2: This is a, a big topic that we can't take the time for right now and, and have addressed at other times but really what you're talking about is is a view of of being saved by faith and that the definition of a christian is one who is genuinely walking in faith and so it's our tendency i think because we so we we tend to operate under the wrong salvation model that wants to have this minimum line or this short list of of absolute requirements. And then once you've ticked those boxes, then you're a real Christian or or whatever. And Mm -hmm. all kinds of people and all kinds of denominations have different places of drawing that line or describing what that looks like and, and so forth. But I think we get, if we can break out of that model and assume a biblical model of what it means to be saved by faith and then acknowledging that what we have not yet received, what has not yet been imparted to us in the sense that we are walking in the reality of it, in the right understanding of it, the right practice of it, is imputed to us by God on the basis of our authentic faith and our movement, as you're describing here, uh, towards the goal. Amen. You know, like it says in Hebrews there, um, now my righteous one shall live by faith, but if anyone shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back unto perdition, but who believe unto the saving of the soul. But one can be an authentic Christian without having realized all of those things. And the body is just another one of those revelations um, to receive first in the understanding of it, but also in the experience of it and the reality of it. So people can say, well... If someone, you know, believes in Jesus authentically, but they haven't been baptized yet, are they a Christian? Yes. Yes, and yet... If they if a, they resist yeah. and say, well, okay, well, if I'm a Christian already, then I don't need that baptism thing. Sure. You said I was already a Christian, right? Then then we're missing something because the posture is wrong. That's the yeah. shrink back posture, yes. not a believe unto, yes. unto re- receiving posture. Mm-hmm. And so, whether it's baptism, whether it's being filled with the Holy Spirit, whether it's coming into a, a living expression of the body. All of those things can be credited to us by God until they are realized. But what is the posture of our heart? So if you're an authentic Christian, you're on the road to Zion, you're going to keep going. You're going to get uh, there. And individuals have got to be in that. And as you're pointing out, entire congregations should be exhibiting the same model. If it's a shrinking back congregation, it's not the body of Christ. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. it's interesting we're talking about this because the text part of my interaction with, with this person back from California sort of ended with, um, he said, can we at least agree that you now believe something completely different than you believed when you were here? And I said, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I said, well, let me tell you how that works. You know And I picked up the phone and I called him. And I, this is exactly what I talked about. I talked about, amen, and I hope that that's the pattern for the rest of my life, that God will continue to reveal himself to me through faith. You know, and that I'll continue to see more clearly. You know, it's interesting. People, people think um, we're so caught up in, in the punctilier, as, as you would say. Um, just you know, I did this or I did that, so that makes me a Christian, and so now we're good, and we're just going to stay here. And if you you keep going, then um, that if anybody keeps going, then it's a problem. What right. are you doing? You don't, I can't tell you how many times I, you don't have to do that. Are you trying to earn something? Are you, you know, and you hear all these comments and it's like, Mm -hmm. no, not at all. I'm just trying to stay on this journey. I'm trying to walk by faith and I'm trying to take every thing that God shows me, the light that he shines in front of my feet. And I'm trying to continue to step into it over and over. And as a result, has my theology changed? Absolutely. And it's going to continue to, as God continues to reveal himself, as I continue to walk by faith. Amen. Amen.
2: I tell you what will keep you from finding the body is a strong self-confidence that you individually already have a monopoly on the truth. You already see it all. You've got your doctrinal checklist and you are just looking for the body. We have encountered people before that they're just lone rangers. They're mavericks uh, who are constantly searching, you know, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Because the search is just to find the body that conforms to what I think the Bible says and what I have decided a true church is supposed to look like. Instead of having the humility to say, yes, we check it against the the Bible. Yes, we check it against what we feel in the Spirit. But we've also got enough humility (laughs) that we're willing to understand that we might have misunderstood something yeah. that we might have missed something there might be other truth yeah. that God wants to break forth from his word not that we'll be inconsistent to the truth the genuine truth that we may have already understood yes. but that may fill it out in a way we didn't anticipate before so there's got to be some kind of openness some kind of hunger in that search and and not just a um, an established standard that's in your own individual head. Amen. Funny. You know when you asked can I be a Christian and not be
0: part of a church or in that sense part of the body of Christ. I would I just think in, in closing of the the scene there in Revelations where God is calling to his people who are confused, not in a geographical place in Iraq called Babylon, but in confusion, who are caught in confusion, which is what Babylon means this confusion of two worlds, of two kingdoms, of two cultures. And he says, come out of her, my people. And they're, they're his people. But what you would ask, we would ask ourselves, those people in Revelations 18, are are they, while living in Babylon, are they an authentic expression of the body of Christ? And we would have to say, no, that's not possible because the body of Christ by nature is the city that stands opposed to and outside of Babylon. But then we would say, but, but what about individually? Are they Christians? And we would say, yes, because God calls them my people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But Nehemiah and the contingent from, of Jews in, in, uh, under Cyrus, they were not Zion while being there. They were not Jerusalem while being there. They had to come out Mm -hmm. in order to restore Jerusalem. But individually, God is imputing to them this, this Jewish status, knowing that the day is going to come when they or their children are going to make the Exodus to make it real. And that's the commitment of faith that says, God, we're going to do it. We're going to go all the way. And, uh, and that's what that's what keeps us being his people says if they had been mindful of the country from which they came they would have had occasion to return but god is not ashamed to be called their god because they had their eyes set on a heavenly country on a better country for this reason he's not ashamed to be called their
2: god and he has prepared a city Amen. for them Amen. there's a destination Amen.
0: Well, thank you all for tuning in. God bless you. See you next time.